couple of things. If you're here for the first time, my name is Pastor Gus. I'm one of the associate pastors here, Pastor Edwin, our lead pastor, and continue to pray for him. He is in Little Rock, Arkansas. I, I wouldn't be whooping it up. I got a picture of the audience, and they look nothing like us. So uh, I can only imagine having traveled uh, with E, uh, anytime we go into these places, we got to kind of tone it down. Not everybody worships like we worship. Not everybody looks like we look. Amen? But at the end of the day, there is one God. And uh, I would love for everybody in the whole world to get that. You know, to know that there's only one God. Amen? Uh, I am grateful. I never take this for granted. We had a fast yesterday. Um, towards the end of the month, every month, we're going to set aside a time where we collectively come together. It was about maybe a little bit over a dozen people from different churches that came together between 7 and 12 noon, and we got together and locked ourselves in a room to press in and seek God. Amen? So we'll be announcing it. We invite you to come on out. Um, something you need to know as believers, there is a toolbox, and there are disciplines, and there are habits that you're supposed to develop as an individual, especially uh, where we currently are in our uh, time as believers, right? This dispensation is about grace. Um, but there is a moment where the Bible talks about God returning. Amen? And during that time, we want to be able to arm ourselves against the wiles of the enemy. And one of the ways we do that, of course, is not only through our devotion and our daily reading, but also by denying this flesh what it wants to do. Right? Like I was in the middle of my fast, about two hours into it, and I suddenly got this pain in my stomach. You know the pain, right? Okay. It's like, yo, we got to eat. Like, what's up with this? And, and, and something just came to my mind, right? It, it was, I said, Lord, let my heart ache for you like my stomach is aching for food. And I got to tell you, it left. I was not even hungry. There was a brother that was with us who said, man, I, I, I. <laughs> right, Sledge? He was like, I didn't even feel hungry, right? We normally have breakfast and snacks, right, right before lunch. And it was just a powerful moment to be in the presence of God, just praising God, worshiping God, praying, crying, weeping, just allowing God to do what he needs to do in our lives. I don't know about you, but I need less of me and more of God in my life. Like, I really need to put this flesh to death on a regular basis. Like, there are things it wants to do. And the Bible clearly reminds us, right, that the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. So that constantly reminds me that there's going to be this thing that's constantly contending for my time, constantly contending for what I want to do. And we have to be mindful as we dive into today's scriptures that God has already given us the remedy to be able to solve those times that come to us. Amen? I normally do not preach from the message. I normally preach from the New King James Version or the New Living Translation. Every now and then, I'll dab into NIV for those people who just got lost. Those are all versions of the Bible. Amen? It's one word, and the translations help us. When I first came around, I read the Schofield's King James Bible. For anybody who knows anything about Bibles, the ye, the thou, and all that good stuff drove me crazy. Now, as a new believer, that's not what I needed. Someone provided for me an open Bible, and it changed the way I embraced the scriptures. Because what does it matter if you read it if you don't understand it? If you don't understand it, it's no good to you because how can you apply something you don't know, right? Like, you ever build a shelf or something like that? It comes with instructions. If you're like me, you chuck the instructions. And then you wonder why this screw is still here. So 
we don't want to do that with life. Amen? We want to look at God's word. So I'm going to be using the message today, and the only reason I'm using the message is because as I went through all the translations in preparation, the language was so raw and so gut-wrenching that I had to bring this version to explain and expound on what we're going to talk about today. Amen? So it's a custom for us to stand, so please stand to your feet. It's not religious calisthenics. As you've heard before, we put the word of God above everything. Everything. We don't question it. There are no inconsistencies. The issue is not the inconsistencies that you might see. It's with your perception and your understanding of the gospel. Amen? So we have to be mindful that we say, oh, how does this happen and that happen? Sit down and give yourself over to studying the word of God, and you will see that everything comes together. We'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, the message. Now, I'm going to read it because it reads like a story. You can follow along, but I don't want you to read. I just want you to listen. Let it, let it run over you, okay? Amen. So I got to put these on because I'm a lot older than most of you. And the first thing that goes is the eyes. Ooh, look at that. Hallelujah. All right. I can see all of you now. Look at that. Okay. So the main text in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this. Remember our story, friends, and be warned. All our ancestors were led by the providential cloud and taken miraculously through the sea. They went through the waters in a baptism like ours as Moses led them from enslaving death to salvation life. They all ate and drank identical food and drink meals provided daily by God. They drank from the rock, God's fountain for them that stayed with them wherever they were, and the rock was Christ. But just experiencing God's wonders, wonder and grace didn't seem to mean much. Most of them were defeated by temptation during the hard times in the desert, and God was not pleased. The same thing could happen to us. We must be on God so that we never get caught up in wanting our own way as they did. And we must not turn our religion into a circus as they did. First the people partied, then they threw a dance. We must not be sexually promiscuous. They paid for that. Remember, with 23,000 deaths in one day. So bad in for a moment. We must never try to get Christ to serve us instead of us serving him. They tried it, and God launched an epidemic of poisonous snakes. We must be careful not to stir up discontent. Discontent destroyed them. These are all warning markers, danger in our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end, and we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You can fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. Verse 13. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. 
This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. You can see why the message in its translation is so vivid because it uses so many figurative language uh, points here to try to get us to understand what he's talking about. The writer of this is Paul. He's writing to uh, the place called Corinth, place where he uh, nurtured and planted a church. But if you read Corinth, you'll realize that there is another part to it. There's a part one and a part two. I think that we would be a Corinthian church. I think that God would have to address a multitude of things among us to continue to get us to where we want to get to. Now, you have to understand that this was the very beginning of a church plant. It was planted in what I would consider Times Square in the 70s, right? Now, for those who are still around, right? I just aged myself, okay? So that's where he decided to plant this church, in this pagan setting, in this pagan society. And like anything else, just like any of us in church, we come into church and we bring our stuff into church. And we begin to fellowship and be around people, and because we fully don't understand the word of God, we begin to kind of weave into some of the stuff that we believe and some of the things we've been doing and pepper a little Christ on it. So Paul needed to address this right away because what he wanted to do with them is to remind them several things. One is, so that you're aware of it, there are a few points. The first one is point number one. Somebody read that for me out loud. Temptations we face are not uncommon. So he wanted to make extremely clear. Like a lot of us here says, oh my God, you don't know what I'm going through. Right? We, we have people who say that on a regular basis. Now, can I just share with you that it's not uncommon? That what you're going through, what we go through, is not something that hasn't been documented. So we have to be mindful of that. The next one is point number two, and I'll be talking about it further throughout the thing. One is that no temptation that comes to us is beyond these three things. One is the lust of the eyes. We see it. We got to have it. The lust of the flesh. If I feel it, I got to do it. And then the pride of life, it's all about me. Okay? So, so, so there's, there's nothing new under the sun. If you talk to me about what you did last night, it falls under one of these things. Everybody's quiet right about now. I, I, you know what I did last night, right? So, so, so the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, okay? And then the third thing is, point number three is this. Under every behavioral sin is the sin of idolatry. That simply means that you've placed something else in the place where God is, and you've offered your worship to it. Does everybody understand that? Okay, so, so because every behavior of sin is sin of idolatry, we have to be mindful that we talked about four root sins in this place on a regular basis. Everybody remember what they were? Ah, the way I remember it is like this. I'm a teacher, forgive me. Okay? Power, Power approval, comfort, and control. Now, anytime you dive into sin, it's going to fall under one of these things. Okay? So, so you have to be mindful of it. So as we go forward, one of the things I wanted to do, because this is a verse, if anyone here has been part of a group, you've taken this 13-week, uh, is it 13-week? 13-week, growing in Christ. All right? And one of our memory verses is this verse. 
So I read it in the King James Version, but I want to read it in the parallel text. And what I normally do when I study the Word of God is I have multiple texts that I have alongside so that I can fully understand what the writer is saying. I also have a Greek lexicon that trans translates and a little bit of Hebrew, and it's all good stuff, right? It's for those who want to study further. It's for those who are called to do what we do up here. Amen? We can't get up here and dance. If you saw me dance, you would leave this place. Okay? Right, Lou? I'm on video. I'm on video doing my thing. All right? So, the New King James Version says, no temptation has overtaken you except it's common to man. And then the last part here that I want to look at is the last part of the section. In the first one, it says, he will what? Make a way of escape. Everybody got that? Okay. The next one says what? He will show you a way out. And then the next one also says a way out. So for me, I focused on this way out. So, so the Bible clearly says that it's not uncommon that you're going to be tempted. It's going to happen. Amen? Now, you have to be mindful because this is where I have to pause for a moment because somebody helped me to remind me last week. A lot of people think that God tempts you. God does not tempt you. So tell your neighbor God doesn't tempt you. Okay, so whenever you get caught up with that situation, you know, because a lot of us find ourselves in those moments and we quickly to say, God, what'd you get me into? Right? God doesn't tempt you. Now, here's what I need you to go away with, right? The trials that come to your life, the trials that come, they test your faith. You got to write this down. Somebody got to be writing down. Anybody. Just write it down. Try to remember this. A trial comes to test your faith. A temptation comes to try your training. Come on now. The temptation is allowed to try your training. The temptation, now you have to be mindful if you read the text, it is allowed, meaning that it cannot come to your life until the enemy adds God permission. Because this is poking you. This is trying to find out if you've been reading. This is trying to find out if you've been praying. This is trying to find out if you've been fasting. So your training is your prayer, your reading, right? Your fasting, your devotional time, your spending time with God. That's your training. So when the temptation comes, the reason that it overwhelms you is because you lack the training. Now, temptation comes to all of us. There's no exception. All of us. The enemy has a playbook, and he knows you like to go left. On a regular basis, come July and August, you go left. We talk about patterns, right? We, we talk about triggers, right? Like we all know our triggers and all our patterns, and we still don't do anything about it. So the training comes in to remind us that there's going to be a moment in your life in which you're going to be tempted. Now, Paul is writing to them because why? I just said, Times Square, 1970. That's where this church is planted. You think they're not being bombarded? They have a temple in this place that a thousand prostitutes work. So what goes on there, right? 
The same thing, they have other gods. The god of Corinth at that time was Poseidon. Why? Because they lived near the water, so they needed to be protected, so they prayed a lot to Poseidon. If you don't know Greek history, Poseidon is the god of the waters for the Greeks. Not for me. I don't swim that much. Don't like sharks. So I stay away from the water. Okay? That's it. All right? So keeping that in mind, as, the, as Paul is talking to these people, he's saying, wait a minute. What's going on or what will go on is not uncommon for you. So then how do you get out of that? What if the way out is not a thing but a person? What if the way out is not that crack door that opens up or somebody snatching you out of it? What about if it's not a thing, but a person? Because I mentioned earlier that Paul talks about this. In fact, in Romans, I want to go to the scripture because I want to guide you through the text, okay? In Romans chapter 7, verses 21 to 25, Paul says this. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, Evil is there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Paul is saying, listen to me, all of us in this room, as long as you're on this earth, your flesh is always going to try to take you away from that which you need to honor God. And when I talk about the flesh, it's your carnal desires, right? Because of Adam, sin entered, and we're all born sinners. There's no one good, no one inherently good. I, I, I speak to people who say, well, the people have an inherent goodness. No, they don't. You, you want to talk to me about inherent goodness? Watch the video from the Bronx. You want to go any further? Talk to me about the Holocaust. You want to talk about people inherent good? Talk to me about Rwanda. Talk to me about Bosnia, where genocide is something that is prevalent. So there's no inherent good. We need Jesus. We, we need a savior. Society needs a savior because unless we get a savior, we'll revert to what we know, which is our carnal instincts. We'll continue to act in a way that harms one another. And you know what happens? We normally hurt the ones we love. Ouch. And you know why? Because you, you can get away with it. Especially as I'm a Christian, right? Like if my sister talks about me, I got to love her because I'm a Christian now. Now before, I would slap her. But now I'm a Christian. That's how she knows I'm a Christian. So what is she doing? She's poking. She's poking. She's doing what? She's trying my training. She's trying to find out, yo, what's up with you? See, so you go to church all the time? All right? They're poking at you. They're trying your training. Because when the training kicks in, you ignore that stuff. So now I just, <laughs> like that laugh, right? Like <laughs> that evil laugh when you're thinking about it, right? So, so think about that. It's your training. Somebody cuts me off in traffic. It's my training. Somebody's talking about me. It's my training. Those are the temptations that come to do what? To get you out of line, to get you at what God is doing in your life. God is doing something in your life. Listen to me, all of you. You're better today than you were yesterday. 
You're not there yet, but you're better today than you were yesterday. The fact that you're sitting in church, listening to someone share the gospel, is so important in your life. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you've done. God loves you. That's unconditional. Now, that's a different thing when we talk about God's blessing. God's blessings are conditional. So I don't want you to keep playing at the edge of the pool. I want you to go deeper and further. But you can't do that unless you learn to swim. That's your training. That's your training in God's word. That's your training in prayer. That's your training in fasting. That's your training in spending time with God. Because let me tell you something. There's only so many times you can say no. There's only so many times you can say no. I want to share with you why you don't have to say no. Amen? Amen. So he goes on to say that. He said, okay, but look immediately in verse 24. He answers this. Remember I said, what if that way out is not a thing but a person? He says in verse 24, what a wretched man and I, he identifies himself, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Immediately he answers that. Let's all read it together. Ready? One, two, three. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Paul recognizes this. Paul identifies this. Paul realizes and comes to the conclusion, within this body of mine, there is the struggle that happens. Right? Now, how many of us know that somebody will not move out that has imminent domain and has squatters right unless they're exposed from that place? We got to get the marshal to get them out. Right? Like they set up, they plug in the light to a pole across the street. They're just living large, right? The only way to get them out, it's the same way with our fleshly desires that begin to occupy our heart. The only way to get them out is to invite someone else in. Come on now, somebody got to say amen to that one. The only way to get them out, the only way to get you out, the only way to get you out of the way is to invite someone else in. And the way we do that, of course, is inviting the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to dwell within us. So the way out is not a thing. It is a person that dwells within us. What I'm trying to say, that every time a temptation comes to you, you already have the way out. It is Jesus Christ. Because Paul is talking about something. He uses the word war on a regular basis. War. Does anybody understand that spiritual warfare is real? Now, whether you're in it or not, I mean church, Christ, abiding in Christ, whether you're in it or not, if you're in this room and you're not saved, meaning you haven't acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, first of all, you, have, you don't even think you're a sinner. You just think you're chilling. So when you come to that conclusion, you begin to realize, okay, what, what did I just do? What did I just do? I just entered into warfare. Because now the enemy wants to do what? Listen to me. When you were in the world, you served the master. Right? And you served them well. Is that okay? I mean, I did. <laughs> I was good. I, I, was, I was good at being dirty. Okay? Jesus came and appealed to me. Like he said, come and follow me. He said, come, whatever it is that you've been searching for, you're not going to find it in that camp. That there is a void that's been created in you by God, my Father, that only I can fill. Does everybody understand that? 
there is this void that only Jesus Christ could come. No matter what you try to do, no matter what you try to drink, no matter what you try to ingest, no matter what you try to show up, no matter where you sleep or who you sleep with, listen to me, it's not going to solve that emptiness that is within you. Only Jesus Christ can come in and take residence in that place because it's been created for him to reside in. The minute you say yes to that, you enter into a battle because now the enemy that you used to serve before wants you back. <laughs> he wants you back on his team. He doesn't want you to go to the other team. He wants you to come back with him. And you have to be mindful that he's going to do everything he can to disqualify what you believe now. Oftentimes, when you do something, doesn't someone say, and you said you're a Christian? What are they doing? They're accusing you. They're poking you. They're going after what you believe. Oh, those Christians are all crazy. Right? Oh, you know, like they, they begin to do that kind of stuff. It's because the enemy wants you back. He wants you back. He wants you to serve him. Even more now that you've come into the church, even more now that you've heard the word of God, because then he says that doesn't work. How many of us have come in and have left because we gave God a certain amount of time and he didn't show up to take care of our problem? So temptation comes to all of us. So it's not a thing, it's a person. Why? Because in spiritual warfare, you have to wear an armor. Everybody moving with me? Not a thing, a person. You have to wear an armor. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about this armor. It'll be up on the screen. And Paul is the one that's writing this too. Paul has written Corinthians, he's written Romans, and he's written Ephesians, and he says this. Now, remember what I just said. Paul mentions war, this war that goes on within me, right? We're not talking about out here now. We're just talking about inside of us because what? There is something still in me that likes doing that. Come on now. Everybody's quiet up in there. I got a bunch of sinners up in here. It's okay. That's why we're here. Why? I'm going to give you something that's going to help you from here on in. Now, if you fall into sin, it's because you want to. But I'm going to give you the tools. I'm going to give you the weapon for you to be able to refute that moment. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired. I'm tired of doing the same thing over and over again. I'm, I'm tired. I forget about trying to get different results. Just the same result. It doesn't change. It's the same thing. It doesn't change. It's pain. It's hurtful. People are looking at you shifty and funny. They don't want to be with you. They don't want to hang out with you. You know what I'm saying? Like after a while, you begin to, 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 to live this, this, this introverted kind of life where you're alone. It says, oh, I'd rather be alone. I, I can't trust nobody. No, you can't be trusted. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> can't trust nobody. Right? So, so at the end of the day, look what Paul writes. He says, finally be strong. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Ephesians, but he's talking to us today. He says, be strong in what? In the Lord and his mighty power, meaning what? I cannot resist temptation on my own. So all this thing about people saying, oh, suppress it. Oh, turn around from it. Oh, say no. Oh, flee. Oh, run. No, when I flee, it's, it's over here too. When I run this way, it's over here too. Why? Because it's meant to try your training. It's meant to get you to give up here in this camp and go back to this camp so that you can serve him. Everybody got that? Okay, so he goes on and says, put on the full armor of God. Okay, not just partial, right? 
not, not, not just partial, the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. What is temptation? Devil's schemes. What is temptation? Devil's scheme. It doesn't come from God. It doesn't come from God. The enemy is plotting and scheming what he wants to do. Of course, he eventually wants to kill you, but he doesn't have to kill you physically. He doesn't have to kill you physically. There's this emotional death that happens. There's a spiritual disconnection that happens, right? He doesn't have to kill you, just make you sick enough where you don't like yourself. He doesn't have to kill you. You'll take care of that. Like how many of us in this room have gotten to that point at one time or another where we've had suicidal idolations, where we figured, man, I'd be better off. That is part of the devil's scheme. So here's what's happening. You're going into spiritual warfare without an armor. How can you resist temptation? Even if the way out comes to you, you won't be able to go through it because you don't know that it's a way out. So all of us, I don't care who you are in this room. I do care about you. I just don't care. Okay. What I'm trying to say is that all of us are going into this battle not fully armed. Not fully armed. Not fully prepared. Not understanding the devil's schemes. I just mentioned to you that the enemy has a playbook on you. And people say, oh, it's got to be these horrible sins. No. What about shutting your mouth? And like, really? You don't have to say everything that's on your mind. Every time you have a brain fart, I got to listen to it? No, I don't have to listen to it. You don't have to say the things you have to say. A lot of times I always say, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say it. Don't say it. What about the gossip and the murmuring? What about your fix of anger? When was the last time you punched a wall? Who fixes the wall when you punch it? Do you put a frame over it? Been there. Done that. I'm not here exempting myself. I'm giving you what I try to use every day of my life. I know now that the enemy has a plan for me. But God's plan is greater for me, right? The, the, plan, the plan of the enemy is to hurt me and to harm me. The plan of God is not to hurt me, not to harm me, but to prosper me. Does everybody see that? So, so you have to understand that the enemy is always throwing this counterfeit at you. and says, come on, hang out with me. Don't worry about it. It's true. They're talking about you. It's true. They don't care about you. It's true. Look at them. They didn't show up for your anniversary. Ooh, boo. Come on, right? All that kind of stuff. Now, we laugh about that, but it, come on. I got some real sensitive people up here in recovery. I do. I do. And, and honestly, I love you guys, but I can't go to every anniversary. Got that? I love you. Oh, man, listen. I love you dearly. I love your growth. I see. I get a front row seat watching you guys grow and stick and stay. I love that. But when I first came around, I, I, I decided to go the Ramos way, right, and be at every anniversary. Right? So I would go with Ray here, I would go with Ray. And then one day, I didn't show up to somebody's anniversary. I didn't get a Christmas card. I didn't get a birthday call. And uh, so I say all that to say that because we're in a warfare, there are things that come our way. And Paul describes them here. Look what he says. He goes on to say, for our struggle is not against 
flesh and blood. So look to your neighbor and says, my fight is not with you. But against the rulers, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, now, now you don't understand this, so let me help you out. Particular street corner, they sell drugs in that corner all the time. All the time. All the time. They just, they be ripping it up. Police come and sweep it. Take 30 bodies. Boom. An hour later, there's 30 more bodies. This is what it talks about, powers in the heavenly realm. It talks about that that area, because so much evil has been going on, the enemy is now taking that over. Now, imagine that you understand that now, that to go into that corner and now preach the gospel on that corner, it's spiritual warfare. But you want to go there unarmed. You want to go to that corner now and say, yo, guys, get off the block. Come on, Jesus said so. what you want to do. I'm telling you that it's spiritual. It's a spiritual battle that you enter into. Before you even begin to go there, you have to have a strategy and you have to be empowered to be able to combat what's going to come at you. I remember me going to the projects right here down the block here on 3rd Avenue. We set up camp right on the corner. The guy came to me and said, yo, how long are you going to be here? I said, for another two hours. For two hours, they didn't sell drugs on that corner. The minute I left, they sold drugs. But for two hours, we handed out coffee tracks and prayed for people. I even told the guy who was in the corner, let me pray for you. He said, I don't need prayer, man. Why? There is a principality. There is this thing that got a hold of him. Come on now. We've all been there. We've all been there. It took Jesus to show up. So the way out wasn't a thing for us. It was a person. Because all of us here try things. All of us try things. We try to medicate. We try to go here. We try to go there. We try to chant. We try the crystals. We tried everything. And until you came to Jesus Christ, you did not experience the freedom that you're experiencing now. He goes on there, 13, gives us instructions, commands. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. The therefore you always read is right before that. And because he told us all that before that, he says, okay, now, put on the full armor of God. So when that day of evil comes, what did I say? Temptation is going to come. You're not exempt. None of us are exempt from it, right? You may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Did you hear that? He doesn't want you to run. When you run, you give up ground. The more you run, the more ground you give up. When you try to get back to that place, it's already occupied by somebody else. So running is not the solution, especially when it comes to confronting the enemy that wants to destroy you and your family. You, you have to go into your toolbox. You have to arm yourself and begin to, in the spiritual realm, begin to do battle. That's what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane so much that it says his sweat looked like blood. That's the kind of battle you want to do. All of us want the blessing. All of us want to overcome. And this is the only prayer we do. Thank you for this food, Lord. I love you. Amen. Or the nursery school, right? Which is, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. 
We're talking about warfare. You can't come with a nursery rhyme to the devil. You can't come with a nursery rhyme to the devil. Listen, the skuns of Sceva try to do that. In the book of Acts, there's a story about those guys who try to confront the enemy, and the enemy looked at them and says, who are you? And there are times when you're facing temptation, and you don't know how to respond to that. You don't know how to say, I'm a child of God. I am, <laughs> I am Holy Ghost filled. I am armed with the power of God and the word of God. And devil, you need to get behind me. You need to get behind me. And if you get smart with me, boom, you need to get under my foot. Now, now, don't let them up. There was a story. Listen to me. How do you kill a snake? You chop its head off. Now, you know some knucklehead chopped the head off of a snake and went to pick up the head? Dead duck. The venom was still in his head. Bit him, killed him. Listen to me. There's spiritual warfare that happens. Some of you don't even know how to pray. Now, this is not a kick in the stomach. This is, listen, I care about you. I, we, as pastors, we're trying to help you to form yourself spiritually so you can combat, and you don't have to. Your story doesn't have to be that you go back. Your story doesn't have to be that you pick up again. Your story doesn't have to be that you keep dibbing and dabbing in that area and claim that you're blessed. No, there's something called grace that you're experiencing. The blessing comes by walking in the power and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, not by playing this two-step mambo, one forward, two backwards. It's not what we're talking about. So he goes on to say, I love this, because look what he says now. He says, okay, when evil comes, stand ground. He says now, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, in other words, all this is not enough. You can put all this on. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You know what a flaming arrow is? It's a simple thing. They're talking about me. Why'd they go quiet when I walked in the room? Mm. You're so insecure. You think they're talking about, right? Huh? There, there, there was a song, right? You probably think the song is about you, right? <laughs> no, listen to me. These flaming hours are simple. Really simple, really simple. Let me, let me tell you, really simple. I leave the socks in the living room when I take them out, right? Or when I take them off. I like to be ready in case of a fire, put on my socks and go out. That's my strategy. My wife calls that strategy a mess, right? So she doesn't understand my strategy. It's a mess. So she says, you need to clean that up. And I say, but I'm going to need the socks later. What's going on here? There is a misunderstanding. One of us is going to have to give in. <laughs> this is the enemy, right? Just comes in and starts his little fiery down. You really, we're going to fight over socks? Right? But you got to understand. Now, I'm... I'm just talking from a man's perspective. Ladies, I think a fire preparation plan is far better 
than cleaning up. <laughs> Little to let you know, I lost that one. <laughs> Only because I gave in. I'm the wiser. I'm the head of my home. I'm the priest. So I had to give in to it. All right? To keep the peace in our home. But check that out. I'm not talking about the hard stuff. I'm talking about little things that take you down this spiral that you're, after a while, two months later, a week later, you say, hey, we just had a fight. What was it about? And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. But we spend all this energy, and the enemy is there having a good time with us. It's like, yo, God, yo, look at your children. Yo, God, look at your children. They're going at it again. You know what I love about that scenario? And the father looks at the children fighting, and Jesus whispers in his ear and says, we're not done with them yet. We're not done with them yet. And the enemy goes, oh, man. All right? It's not a finished work. God is not done with you. God is not done with us. God is working. On, what I'm asking you to do is be aware of the fact, first and foremost, that temptation will come. It is a spiritual warfare. He goes on to say, he says, okay, in addition to all this, because you can do all this and you won't be able to do it, he says this. Take the helmet of salvation. He separates these two things. Because anytime you act up as a Christian, it's coming after your salvation. It's questioning whether you're saved or not. So it says, take the helmet of salvation, and then, this is the kicker, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. What if the way out is not a thing, but a person? And the person is Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to bring it home now, so I need you to know this. So it's not enough for you to say no. It's not enough to suppress your feelings. It's not enough to turn around. It's for you to stand and do battle at that moment with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, now, now you have to say, 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 say. In John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was? Come on now. Come on now. So it's not a thing, but a person. Now, in verse 14, it goes on to say that the word became? Who was he? So who's the sword of the spirit? So when you are doing warfare, when temptation comes your way, if you do not have a word to combat that moment, you will give into it. You can run, you can move, you can hide. Because of your sin nature, there's something in you that still desires instant gratification. There's still something in you that wants it now. You see it, you want it. You feel it, you want it. And because you're so prideful, you think you deserve it. And what I'm saying, that in spiritual warfare, when temptation comes, it's allowed to test your training. And your training is in the word. So now when the enemy comes at you with whatever he's going to come at you with, you need to unsheathe your sword, which is the word of God, which is Jesus himself, and invite him into the moment. That's the only way you'll be able to get past that temptation. Jesus himself 
was tempted. What makes you think you're not going to be tempted? Like Jesus was taken into the wilderness to be tempted. And he didn't take out his nine millimeter. He didn't call down angels. He said, it is written. In Genesis, when the world was in chaos and there was nothing that existed, God didn't take out his hammer and his measuring tape and some nails. God said, let there be light. He spoke it into existence. Your power as believers now is in the word that you believe in. And you believe in it because the word is a person, not a thing. So the way out is not a thing, it is a person. And the person's name is Jesus. Jesus. I hope that was good. We got to go. We run out of time. We run out of time. I got to go. Otherwise, I'll never hear the end of it. Okay? But I want to come back and begin to have this conversation because listen to me. All of you are tempted. All of you will be tempted. And I'm not talking about the big, you know, the big five, you know, drugs, sex, rock and roll. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about the simple things, like the thoughts you have, the words you speak, the places you frequent, the people you hang out with. Listen to me. I got two kind of people in my life. Those who are trying to get me closer to Christ and those that I'm trying to get closer to Christ. That's it. It's simple for me. Because when I sense or feel that there is a bad intention, and it's not obvious a lot of times, right? It's not obvious, right? But I also know that now walking with the Lord, it's not that I don't want to do it. It's not that. It's not that I'm incapable of doing it. But what I've done is I've put Christ in that place. So when the temptation comes to my life, I look at that and I look at Christ and I say, Christ is much better than that. So it's not enough to say no. It really isn't. I can run like, uh, you know, my, my, my mother, who I love dearly, who, by the way, is still here. She's visiting New Hampshire where we, my mom had this brilliant idea that she would take all her children out of the south side and try to find a place that was crime-free, um, thinking that, you know, if she relocated us, um, we'd be good. Well, she took us to this place called Nashville, New Hampshire. And, whoa, about maybe 18, 19 years ago. And um, maybe a little bit more. And they used to live with their doors open and all that good stuff. We made the front page the first day we were there. Because you can relocate. You can run and go wherever you want to go. It doesn't make a difference if you don't understand what I just mentioned to you. There's a spiritual warfare that happens. There's a temptation that happens. No matter where you go, you go with you. And until you realize what's going on, you can change addresses. You can change your zip code. You can move. You can relocate. You can fix your hair. You can have a nose lift. I don't care what you try to do. 
Not that anybody had a nose lift here. But if you did, praise the Lord. The point is, when temptation comes, how are you going to fight it off? Because I got to tell you something. I saw this thing on TV the other day. It's called the Marshmallow Test. You can Google it. And what they did was, they took these children, about kindergarten age, and the parents said, I got this one marshmallow, and if you don't eat it, I'll give you another one when I come back in five minutes. And you got to watch these kids. Kids with a marshmallow. One kid is like licking it. <laughs> he's, like, he's like touching it. He hasn't eaten it, touching it. He's pressing it down and licking his hand. Right? And then he's yelling, my eyes are five minutes yet. That marshmallow did not make it. We're like that with temptation. We're like that with temptation. We lick it. We touch it. We caress it. Some of us are masseuses, so we massage it. And we don't expect it to affect us. Because you don't understand that if you touch it, if you taste it, if you embrace it, you become it. I pray that this has been good for you. I pray that it's helpful for you to understand that no longer do you have to run, but you have to fight against that moment. And you don't fight in your own strength, according to Paul. You fight in the power and the might of the Holy Spirit.